in a battle of power between these two large entities, these, you know, platforms and governments, it is our rights that are getting crushed. And we have no choice but to exert those rights. I don't think there can be any, any room for negotiation between governments and platforms. And any solution that they come to together may not necessarily be good for citizens because there is a power imbalance between citizens, platforms and governments and citizens have the least amount of power. So my advice is that citizens should go to court to try and assert their rights. Triple E Media. I'm Ramat Mohammed, and this is The Backstory. Last month on June 8th, the former U.S. President Donald Trump he congratulated Nigeria for doing something that he wished he had done during his presidency. Last week, Twitter's struggles with governments around the world got worse. Nigeria's government says it's suspending Twitter indefinitely after the company deleted a controversial tweet from the country's president. Mohamedou Buhari, he threatened to punish regional secessionists for attacks on government buildings. So Twitter deleted that post. Nigeria responded by banning Twitter, saying that the platform was being used for activities capable of undermining Nigeria's corporate existence. The social media platform removed the post from President Mohamedou Buhari, saying it violated the site's rules against abusive behavior. Lai Mohammed, Minister of Information and Culture, tweeted at 11.53 a.m. on Friday the 4th of June that the Nigerian federal government had suspended Twitter operations in Nigeria. And by the next day, that's Saturday, June 5th, the telecommunications companies started to implement the suspension. A few days later, on the 8th of June, former President Trump released a statement on his personal website saying, and I quote, Congratulations to the country of Nigeria, who just banned Twitter because they banned their president. More countries should ban Twitter and Facebook for not allowing free and open speech. All voices should be heard. Obviously, he's speaking from experience here. Both Twitter and Facebook have suspended Donald Trump's accounts after over 500 Americans stormed the Capitol building back in January. And Richard, the last time I checked, Facebook's suspension is for a minimum of two years, while Twitter's suspension is permanent. That's right. So the former U.S. president clearly has strong feelings about this. But his statement was not entirely correct. It was a bit oversimplified, actually. It's true that the indefinite suspension of the social media platform came immediately after Twitter deleted the tweet made by the president. But for years before all this happened, Nigeria and the Buhari government in particular have been moving closer and closer to regulating social media. And to be fair, in the past five years, other governments around the world have been talking more and more about regulating social media, and some have started to do it. Today on The Backstory, we're going to start by discussing social media regulation in India. And then we'll ask the questions. Did the Nigerian government have other options in the way it responded to Twitter? And how do we, the citizens, avoid being crushed between these two very powerful forces? 
my name is nikhil pahava uh, i'm the founder and editor of media nama we're a publication that reports on technology policy in india and uh, we've been tracking the evolution of both technology businesses and policy in india since 2008 as you know india has a lot of people about 1.4 billion people that's nigeria's entire population times 7 i mean that's a lot of people to feed and it's also a lot of internet users india has got millions of users uh millions of internet users we've got over 500 million internet users we've got over almost 800 million internet connections which means millions and millions of social media users whatsapp for example has over 550 million users in india facebook has more than 450 million users in india twitter has relatively fewer based on what we could find twitter may have somewhere between 10 to 20 million users in india but regardless of the numbers social media platforms have been running into trouble over and over again with the indian government but it wasn't always a troubled relationship Prime Minister of India that's Prime Minister Narendra Modi and his political party have benefited massively from social media uh, and this government which actually rode to power on uh, on the back of its uh, spectacular social media campaigning and how it has an entire team and that has ensured you know that that there is sufficient social media present there's sufficient commentary they try and control the narrative on social media they have been wedded to social media for a very long time but then something happened in 2017 that started to change the indian government's relationship with social media rumors and lies spread like wildfire across the internet including across chat applications like whatsapp some of these viral hoaxes can turn deadly recently in india internet lynch mobs have killed a dozen people including innocent bystanders rumors on whatsapp said the victims were kidnapping kids or harvesting organs facebook mob lynchings have been happening in various small towns and villages in india because of fake news that was circulating on social media and whatsapp and that's really when the indian government started to amp up its efforts to regulate content on social media now for any government to make moves to regulate or censor free speech they need legal backing So India has very uh, strong free speech protections uh, but it also has reasonable restrictions on free speech and so these reasonable restrictions the way they defined in the constitution are fairly broad and so they do tend to get implemented uh, restrictively by the government through orders that are sent to social media platforms and content does tend to get censored Our constitution in Nigeria does pretty much the same thing. Section 39 subsection 1 of the 1999 constitution as amended grants every person the right to freedom of expression including the freedom to hold opinions and to receive, share and impart ideas and information without interference. But then we have other laws also very broad that place limits around that. For example, There are laws around libel, slander, and defamation of character. There are copyright laws and there are restrictions around speech that is pornographic. Now in India, after the lynchings incited by the fake news on WhatsApp, there have been other incidents that have pushed the Indian government to consider passing a new set of laws that would limit free speech on social media. 
there have been several instances of members of our parliament voicing concern about fake news misinformation online abuse against women and and this has been happening consistently over the last few years about 2 years ago they came out with a draft set of regulations which uh, were looking to impose more control to official appointments like a grievance officer uh, but also push for proactive censorship of social media where you know certain types of content would be taken down automatically and content that has already been taken down if it was posted again it would be removed again the banning of former president trump by twitter and facebook became yet another inciting incident that was used by members of the indian government to push for more social media regulation in india earlier this year especially i think things came to a head after twitter and facebook banned donald trump and uh, on the 9th of jan this year a young member of parliament tejasvi surya reacted to twitter's banning of trump and uh, said that platforms should not have so much of power and like he had done last year called for intermediary regulations to be revisited in india and these intermediary regulations or intermediary liability protections they essentially give platforms a protection against liability for our speech they are a means to an end they allow us to speak and voice our views but they don't have liability for that content as the discussion around the intermediary liability protections were ongoing tension between the government of india and social media continued to build up last year and into this year last year when there were protests regarding the citizenship amendment bill uh, several people took to the streets and there was organizing of protests that was happening via twitter via facebook via whatsapp and uh, this year when there were farmer protests going on regarding a new bill in parliament there were you know tweets and and updates that were being uh, published online by activists and members of the farmer groups themselves which which led to uh, a lot of concern in the government about how social media was being used to try and change the narrative against the government now is the protest around the farm bills in particular that have really ramped up the tension between the indian government and the social media companies specifically twitter around the end of feb this year the government of india basically asked uh, twitter to remove tweets which were referencing farmer genocide and amongst the uh, they asked for the removal of a hashtag they asked for the removal of uh, several tweets blocking of several accounts including the accounts of legitimate news publications respected news publications uh, that were merely reporting the news twitter pushed back against the government on some of these restrictions that it was trying to impose which led to a huge public and media face off to leaked memos and leaked exchanges uh, it was prime time news on television uh, in india some big news coming in the government has now issued a notice to twitter to comply with its order to remove handles and content spreading misinformation claiming farmer genocide government warns twitter against motivated campaign to abuse 
inflame and create tensions in the society on unsubstantiated... That all happened on February the 3rd of this year, 2021. And by the end of February, that's give or take less than a month after issuing the warnings to Twitter, the Indian government came out with new guidelines called the Information Technology Rules 2021. The government is now using these rules to put more pressure on platforms like Twitter. Okay, Alex, Richard, India, they've been experiencing quite a few inciting incidents linked to social media. And the response by their government has been to try to regulate social media. And they've ultimately taken a step closer to that through the Information Technology Rules 2021. Now, we'll come back later on to discuss more about those rules. But before we do that, I want our listeners to get an appreciation for the similarities between what's been happening in India and what's been happening in Nigeria at almost the same timeline. Well, the current government in Nigeria, just like the one in India, rode on the back of media and especially social media to get into office in 2015. But that relationship started to fall apart a few years later. In 2018 in Nigeria, over 2,000 people died in farmer herder clashes. It was a really deadly year. And around the end of June that year, fake pictures started to circulate on social media that claimed to be depicting the violence that was taking place. Pretty graphic pictures, and these pictures obviously created more tension, which led to more hate speech flowing on social media. And just like in India, the Nigerian government reacted to this by attempting to pass regulation to limit speech on all these social media platforms. Now, in November 2019, a bill was introduced in the Senate that would criminalize the use of social media to pass on false or malicious information. That bill was officially called the Protection from Internet Falsehood and Manipulations Bill 2019. Unofficially, people were calling it the Anti-Social Media Bill. And it was also conveniently introduced after the general elections in March. Either way, the bill was met with great opposition and it eventually did not pass. Then fast forward to October 2020. We are saying today, as a citizen of this country, we can no longer be afraid of our country. We can no longer be a foreigner in our country. We are here. We are here to declare to a protest against police brutality in Nigeria that had actually started on social media way back in 2017 had started to gain more attention, but this time it gained significant international support during the COVID-19 lockdown and spilled onto the streets. At first, the protests were peaceful and the organizers approached the government with very clear and specific requests. But the protests were soon hijacked and instead of being about a specific request to end SARS, it became a protest about anything and everything. And then it turned into a cry to overturn President Buhari and the current government. Then the looting and the attacks on public and private property started. And before we knew it, people were dying. Police officers were dying, civilians were dying. And in the middle of all this violence, Twitter creates an emoji, a fisted hand emoji in solidarity with the NSARS protesters. And Jack Dorsey, that's the CEO of Twitter, posts a tweet urging his followers to donate via Bitcoin to support NSARS. 
other international celebrities started to lend their voices on social media in support of the NSAS protesters, including Rihanna. The same Rihanna who also felt the need to tweet in support of the farmer protesters in India. After the NSAS protesters, the Nigerian government started to wonder what Twitter's real agenda is in Nigeria. But even at the peak of the NSAS protest in October and November 2020, the Nigerian government didn't take steps to regulate or ban Twitter. But the thing is, the NSAS protest opened a Pandora's box. During the violence around these protests, people learned just how vulnerable our security forces really are. And from January 2021, attacks on police officers and police stations, even military officials, started to rise, especially in the southeastern parts of the country. Now, the group behind these attacks is believed to be IPOP, that's the indigenous people of Biafra, and their self-appointed leader, Namdi Kanu. Kanu was using social media platforms to deliver messages to his followers. And in February 2021, Facebook determined that some of his posts repeatedly violated its rules on harm and hate speech. For example... He had posted a video of a militia group attacking and killing cattle in a herder settlement. He also used Facebook's live broadcast to accuse herders of destroying farmland in eastern Nigeria. Remember that the conflict between the farmers and the herders in Nigeria is a very sensitive one. And what Kano was doing had the potential to set off another bloody farmer-herder crisis. Facebook suspended Kano's account in February, but Kano's account on Twitter remained open. And the killings in Southeast continued. Still, the Nigerian government did not move to regulate or ban Twitter. Although the government had said that they had made attempts to persuade Twitter to remove Kano's account. But according to the government, those attempts were not taken seriously by Twitter. Then we fast forward to May of this year, 2021. Chairman of the Independent National Electoral Commission, National Security Advisor, and heads of security agencies are attending this emergency meeting on election security in Nigeria. Ten INEC offices were attacked in the southeast in the month of May alone. INEC is the Independent National Electoral Commission. They're in charge of making sure we have smooth-running elections. The chairman of INEC briefed the president about the attacks, and after the briefing on Tuesday, June 1st, the president addressed the attacks. Um, what is happening in the southeast? Attacking police station, killing the police, taking away arms and ammunition. Now, for those of us who are unfortunate to be in the field for the 30 months of the civil war, to see the carnage of how we kill ourselves, at least a million people, I think those that are misbehaving, they were either too young, they didn't know what happened. But for those of us who went through all these things, uh, we, we can't understand. So we will treat them in the language they understand. That same day, a thread of tweets appeared on the president's Twitter handle, which contained parts of what the president had said during the briefing. And the last part of the thread said, and I quote, Many of those misbehaving today are too young to be aware of the destruction and loss of lives that occurred during the Nigerian Civil War. Those of us in the fields for 30 months who went through the war will treat them in the language they understand. So Twitter decided that this particular tweet violated its abusive behavior policy and they removed it. 
and that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know what happened next? Two days later, on June 4th, the federal government suspended Twitter operations in Nigeria. And by the following day, June 5th, the telecom operators executed the order. And as of the time of this recording, Twitter is still suspended. So Richard, this whole Twitter ban, it wasn't just about the tweet that was deleted. No, it wasn't. The immediate inciting incident was the deletion of the president's tweet. But for months before that, other inciting incidents have been building up to get to this point. But why suspend Twitter operations completely? Was there no other option? Let's go back to India. India didn't ban Twitter. They decided to pass a set of rules to regulate social media. That's right. And when the Indian government passed the Information Technology Rules 2021, their aim was to put pressure on all social media platforms, not just Twitter. Now, one of the requirements of the Information Technology Rules 2021 is that social media companies need to appoint a chief compliance officer or a grievance officer who is accountable for making sure that complaints are addressed in 15 days. But in order for the information technology rules to work, the social media companies have to comply. These restrictions essentially apply to those platforms with more than 5 million users in India. Some are complying and some are not. Twitter, to be honest, has been slack in, in its compliance. For a few days after the guidelines passed, Facebook and Google also didn't have a chief compliance officer in place. Uh, they still had job openings open and, and we reported on those. Now they have appointed, but for that duration, uh, they didn't. And so the way it seems is that the government is selectively going after Twitter to make an example of them, partly because they still haven't complied, but I would guess partly also because they stood up to the Indian government back in February when they believe that some of the demands for censorship that came in from the Indian government, including you know, shutting down the accounts of some journalists and, and some important news publications, um, were uh, unlawful orders. So Twitter refused to comply and with an allegedly unlawful order. The problem in this entire situation is that we don't have access to that information. Uh, there is no transparency from government and Twitter is bound by secrecy under the Indian law. They cannot disclose that government order publicly. So in the absence of any transparency, it's just one entity's word versus the other. And they've just been exchanging letters and notices with each other. Um, and I think Twitter should go to court to deal with this. They haven't done it so far. It, it, it beggars belief, you know, why they haven't done it. But um, someone's obviously taken a call to write a letter instead of going to court to defend it, uh, themselves. Hmm. Okay. Alex, Richard, Nikhil's comment raises a couple of points that we should consider when we're analyzing the action that the Nigerian government took. First of all, it's possible that the Nigerian government had made demands of Twitter to censor certain accounts and content. And Either Twitter has complied in some cases, or they've refused to comply. But we may never know because we don't have access to those communications. There's no transparency from either the government or Twitter. That's right. So it's the government's word against Twitter's word. But Nikhil also raised the option of Twitter going to court 
But that also brings up the option that the government can take Twitter to court. Right. Twitter is a global company with headquarters in the U.S. And as of this recording, they don't have an office in Nigeria. They're not registered to operate in Nigeria. But to go to court, the company has to be registered in Nigeria. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for the Nigerian government to take Twitter to court in the U.S. And the Indian government also ran into this exact same issue. Twitter had a satellite office in India, but that office had no jurisdiction, no oversight over the actual content that Indian Twitter users were posting. When an initial set of complaints were sent to the Twitter India MD, he said that he's the MD of the Indian uh, business of Twitter, but the content is actually on a platform run by Twitter Inc. So many global platforms do this. They have a liaison office or a sales office in India and their parent companies in the US. So quite often when notices, letters, etc., are issued to these platforms, even in court, they turn around and say that you that you have to issue a notice to the global platform and we are not liable here. And that that jurisdiction issue is a major bone of contention for the Indian government because sometimes they need to send important information requests. Sometimes there is heinous content that needs to be taken down urgently. And it's impossible for them to keep liaisoning with the U.S. office because they're in a different time zone. Uh, sometimes The information technology rules that India passed helps them deal with the issue of jurisdiction. This jurisdiction issue is now being resolved through these IT rules by ensuring that Twitter Inc. has an office in India and a representative in India who is then liable under Indian law. Uh, And that's the solution that the government has created, saying that you can't always hide behind the fact that you are an American company operating out of America and servicing our market without having uh, liability here. So if we go back to our question, did the Nigerian government have any other options? It sounds like maybe they didn't, especially since Twitter Inc. does not have a subsidiary in Nigeria. That's right. In fact, as of February 2020, Twitter Inc. did not have a subsidiary anywhere in Africa. Twitter did announce in April of this year that they plan to open an office in Ghana, but it's not clear right now if that office would be a Twitter Inc. subsidiary. As we heard from Nikhil, Only Twitter Inc. can be held accountable for the local content on their platform. But establishing the Twitter Inc. subsidiary in Africa would be expensive for Twitter because it would mean that they need to hire a larger team on the ground that can monitor and deal with local complaints. It also means that they will be open to more litigations. Hmm. But why would Twitter choose to do that? I mean, before the ban, it didn't cost them anything to operate in Nigeria. And even after the ban... Nigerians are still finding ways to use Twitter through VPN. Why would Twitter choose to establish a Twitter Inc. subsidiary in our country or in the West African region if it just means more cost and more legal headaches, potentially? Because of MDAU. MDAU. MDAU stands for Monetizable Daily Active Users. Basically, this is a measure of how many users are actively on Twitter and who are likely to click on an advert. For you and me and the ordinary user, 
Twitter is just a platform to share our thoughts in, what, 280 characters? But for Jack Dorsey, Twitter is a business. A business with costs and shareholders. So he has to generate revenue somehow. And the way he does that is by convincing advertisers to place ads on Twitter. But he only gets paid by the advertisers if you and I click and engage with that advert. So more people on Twitter means more eyes will see the adverts and more clicks, which means more money for Twitter. That's right. MDAU, Monetizable Daily Active Users. Jack Dorsey has to make sure that this number keeps going up and up and up. And that's where Africa and India come in. India's population is 1.4 billion. Africa's population is 1.2 billion. China is 1.4 billion. But Twitter is officially blocked in China. So there is no hope to get significant MDAU from China. So that leaves India and Africa as the next big markets to conquer. That's right. And Twitter needs to decide if investment in the African market is going to pay off in the long term. A significant part of that investment is going to be in having accountability for the content that goes on the platform. By the way, other companies like Google and WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook, have been able to work through the local court systems. For example, in India, social media companies have taken the government to court over the information technology rules 2021. If you look at WhatsApp, they have a registered entity in India. They have gone to court uh, challenging the same rules on grounds of privacy. And they did that the day the rules were made active. So they didn't, they didn't wait for the rules to become active, for the government to target them before they went to court. And that's, that's smart. That's being prepared for a potentially problematic situation and dealing with it uh, before it hurts you. Twitter has only prolonged its agony and it still hasn't gone to court here. And, and Twitter should have anticipated some of these problems and they failed to do so. They have a very small public policy team in India. Facebook and Google have much larger teams. They have um, each organization has its ear to the ground. But I do, you know, one sense that one gets is that the teams that Facebook and Google have in India are far more empowered regarding decisions uh, and, and local decisions um, than, uh, you know, the Twitter team. Going to court against the Nigerian government is absolutely an option for Twitter Inc. But first, they would need to get registered as a subsidiary in the country. Then they would need teams that are empowered to make local decisions. But Twitter would only do that if they believe the market revenue potential is worth the cost. Okay. Alex, Richard, where does this leave us, the users? We have come to rely on and expect to have access to platforms that allow us to express ourselves. Well, we are in between a rock and a hard place. I think you're right. Most people in Nigeria expect to be able to express themselves, whether it be via radio calling programs, writing to newspapers, posting on the internet, or just conversations amongst friends and family. But I also think most people in Nigeria expect reasonable limits around free speech. I mean, a belief around absolute free speech is, is not very common here. So part of the expectation that people are starting to have for these platforms is they somehow enforce these limits. And in fact, WhatsApp is a good example of one platform that's been testing tools to help enforce limits around free speech. I've been saying this for a few years, WhatsApp is the largest media platform in this country. 
with over 550 million users uh, in India on WhatsApp on a on a monthly basis. That's almost one third or more than one third of our population. And for many of these people, um, because they were getting messages from friends and family, which were not which were merely forwarded and not necessarily correct, there would be a tendency to believe those messages. And I think WhatsApp has taken some important steps to ensure that users get some signals regarding the authenticity of a message. So those that had been forwarded many times are now marked as forwarded messages. And this was an experiment that was run in India for India after there were allegations that WhatsApp wasn't doing enough to counter fake news, which is true. Um, they've also restricted forwarding uh, to more than five people at a time, which in, in a sense also then restricts the virality of misinformation. More needs to be done Alex, when we think about these social media technologies, these platforms, and even some of the rules that are being developed to help limit fake news, we often think of them as machines that are objective. We think that they don't really have biases like we do. But that's not true, is it? No. And the possibility of these technology platforms being hijacked for political purposes, either by governments or by the private companies themselves, it's a major concern for media analysts like Nikhil. There is a lot of politics now in, in online speech, and there is a lot of politics that is going to determine the, the rules that will govern these platforms. What, what I have a problem with and what we need to ensure is that these rules have to be implemented in a manner which is apolitical, that is consistent, where there is transparency and accountability for those entities who create the rules, but also transparency and accountability from the platforms. The problem that we're facing with social media globally right now is that these are private platforms performing a public function. And the scale at which they operate, they exert a disproportionate amount of control over speech and the power that they have can be used by them to manipulate democracies and, and elections if they choose to do so. And so we also cannot depend on the benevolence of platforms to not harm our political processes and harm our countries and our democracies. At the same time, we need these platforms to be neutral and outside the, the control of governments to ensure that our speech is as free as possible. So these are very, very hard problems that we're dealing with because the more regulation you bring in, just like we're seeing with India, the more control gets transferred to the government. Whereas what we really need is regulation enabling transparency and accountability of the government and of the platforms, and in a sense, transfer power back to users, where how their content is being dealt with, there is accountability from both the government and the platforms for that. If I get censored, if my account gets blocked today, what are the tools that I have? What is the power that I have to go and challenge such action? If, if, my, if algorithms are being used to manipulate 
my access to information and polarize views in my country, how do we know? And so these are all very, very hard problems, but I think we need to reduce the power of platforms. And the difficult part is we also have to find means of not, not increasing the power of governments so that our speech is true, is fair, is free, and is not manipulated against us. Probably the only solution left is for citizens to go to court because in a battle of power between these two large entities, these you know, platforms and, 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 and governments, it is our rights that are getting crushed. Um, and we have no choice but to exert those rights. I don't think there can be any, any room for negotiation between governments and platforms and any solution that they come to together may not necessarily be good for citizens because there is a power imbalance between citizens platforms and governments and citizens have the least amount of power. So my advice is that citizens should go to court to try and assert their rights. Hmm. We truly are in between a rock and a hard place. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Richard. And thank you to Nikhil Pava, founder and editor of Media Nama. We'll add a link to their site in our episode notes. The discussion we had in this episode was a very thin slice of a much larger philosophical and legal conversation about free speech in the internet age. And what we tried to do was present practical examples of things that are being tried in India, another country with a very similar history to our own. Now, we're not saying that Nigeria should go and copy everything that India has done. No, but there are lessons to be learned. And the most important lesson that I took away from this is to go to court. Twitter should be able to go to court to hold the Nigerian government accountable. The Nigerian government should be able to go to court to hold Twitter accountable. And we, the citizens, should be able to go to court to hold both of them accountable. But as long as Twitter continues to choose to operate outside of Nigeria's legal system, then there is no accountability. And as citizens, we already have a government that we're having a hard time holding to account. Do we really now want to turn over the only thing we can control, our speech and our minds, to a private entity that we can't hold accountable? If we're not willing to give absolute power to our government, and we shouldn't, why give it over to Jack Dorsey? We need to be able to hold Twitter and all social media platforms to account. And for that to happen, they need to be part of our legal system. So Twitter, are you in or are you out? The Backstory is brought to you by Triple E Media Productions. Production copyright 2021 Triple E Media Productions. If you enjoyed this episode of The Backstory and want to hear more, subscribe to our 234 Audio YouTube channel. Episodes of this podcast and our other podcasts can also be found on our website, 
234audio.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Backstory was produced by Alexandra Gekpe, Richard Anyabe, Dominic Tabakaji, and Sam Tabakaji. Executive producer, Ramat Muhammad. Special thanks to Antonieta Kalunta, Nabila Usman, Rabia Hadeja, and Malaiwa Bagduo Ikaleku. If you are interested in sponsoring this program, reach out to us at 0818-230-1234 or email us at info at 234audio.com. I'm Ramat Mohammed. See you next week.